Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. I'm going to take a few moments to pray and then uh, we'll get started. See what God has to say to us. Father, thanks for uh, time, place, opportunity to meet together, gather in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would lead us, you would guide us, you would empower us. We get, pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit you would teach us tonight. Ask God we would be open, ready to receive what you want to say. Uh, I pray, God, for revelation tonight. I pray for understanding. I pray for practical understanding, something that we can apply to our lives tonight. And I pray for change. I ask you, God, that you would help us in a process of change uh, to see things different tomorrow than they are today. So, God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to have his way. pray, God, that we would be open and ready to receive all that you want to do we give you thanks and we give you praise tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Isaiah chapter 58. If you need a Bible, there should be one located on the table where you're seated. If you're not using a digital version. This week we have a speak pipe message uh, from our listeners in West Africa who are mainly here right now. Uh, But (laughs) in a weird twist of events, um, we received a a message from University Kinship at uh, University in Ziegenshore in Senegal. Uh, the Casamos region of Senegal in West Africa. And so I will play that message for you now. Hi, this is Tom from Senegal. And our university kinship would like to give a shout-out to UCF. Hello, Hi, you guys. See you soon. I want to appear in the on a little bit. Hello, say hello. That was Mom, Lori, Gilbert, and Awa. Our kinship at the university. Oh, and of course, me, Tom. So, we'll see you soon. Have a good night. Ciao. All righty. Thanks for sending that along. I uh, really appreciate that. Anything to add? <laughs> what is it? Rice boy? So he's rice boy. I mean, I've seen him uh, chow some rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, he likes his rice. Yeah. He even likes, like, leftover rice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I understand where he gets the name. I mean, it makes sense, Rice Boy. All right, well, thank you for sending that along. Uh, we appreciate that. And anybody else who would like to send us uh, a message, uh, maybe you're a listener and uh, you have never let us know that you're listening, we'd love to hear from you. You can just say hi or tell us your name or just let us know where you're from. But uh, go to the website at www.speakpipe, that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com, uh, slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You'll come to a page and you'll leave what appears to be a voicemail. Uh, just follow the instructions and leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Isaiah chapter 58, uh, I need a volunteer to read verse 13. You can if you want. <laughs> All right, thanks. And uh, so what you're you're seeing here is a reset. And Isaiah is speaking to the people. They they've been in captivity, and uh, that's a nice way of saying that they were carried away as slaves by the Babylonians, and uh, they were returning. And so he was doing a reset here, and he was just saying, okay, well, this is what's going to happen when you return. And one of the things that he wanted to reset, one of the first things that he wanted to reset was the idea of the Sabbath. Because that was an important idea that was important to God, and he wanted to make sure that the people, when they reset all of their worship, and they reset how they were going to live their lives, and they reset their society, and they reset the way that they were going to establish themselves, that they reset it correctly. And so this was part of resetting their lives correctly as they returned from captivity. Now, people like to argue about this. I'm not going to argue with you about it. All I'm going to tell you is that uh, the Sabbath is as old as creation itself. Uh, this is not a legalistic issue. This is not an Old Testament law issue. This isn't a New Testament issue. This isn't an Old, New, Middle Testament issue. This isn't an Abraham issue. This isn't a Moses issue. This isn't a Jesus issue. This is something that God established himself when he created the heavens and the earth. If you go back to Genesis and you look at the creation of the heavens and the earth, it goes through every day when he created things. And so you had day one, he created a bunch of stuff. Day two, he created a bunch of stuff. Day three, he created a bunch of stuff. Day four, day five, day six, he created a bunch of stuff. Day seven, the Bible tells us, he rested. And so the idea of the Sabbath doesn't come as a result of the law. The idea of the Sabbath doesn't come as a result of somebody, some human being's idea about what would be a good idea to do in a religious sense. It has nothing to do with that. The idea of the Sabbath comes from the example and comes from the very mind and the very heart of God. 
in what he actually did as he created the heavens and the earth. It is part of the created order of what God made from the very beginning. There's nothing to argue about. Okay, this isn't this isn't an issue that you look at and you say, oh, uh, yeah, but you know, in the Old Testament, blah, blah, blah. It's not not one of those. Okay, we're not arguing about whether you should get a tattoo or not. Right, we're not arguing about whether you should cut the corners of your hair or not. We're not arguing about whether or not you should eat pork. We're not arguing about any of those things. We're not arguing about whether you should listen to secular music or you shouldn't or rock music is of the devil. We're not arguing about any of that. None of it. None of it. Okay, because this doesn't have anything to do with that. And this is what I really want to get across. And this is what I really want you to, to get a hold of tonight is that this isn't really a discussion about any legalistic issue at all. And, and those of you who have been around long enough, you know that I, I really have a heart for a really primitive faith. And there's so much that, that man lived for so long after creation until the law was given. And there was a primitive faith that was lived out during those times. It was a faith that was in response to God. It wasn't in response to anything written down. It wasn't in response to anything that somebody told them to do. It wasn't in response to anything that anybody enforced on anybody. It had nothing to do with that. There was nothing written in stone. There was nothing written, you know, in, 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 that we know of that was written down anywhere. It was just people and their response to the living God. They had a living relationship with a living God and they were living out their lives in response to Him. Well, you can't get any more primitive going all the way back to what God did Himself during the days of creation. This is as old as dirt. Well, maybe six, six days, you know, whatever. It's a little bit younger than dirt, okay? But it's literally as old as dirt. So God's creating, 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 and then He rested. And and you see that reference back, and, and it's established, it's scripturally established that referencing back to that day of rest is where we get the idea of a Sabbath. It has to do with God. It has to do with what He did. It has to do with the example that He set. Because I want you to think about it for a second. I mean, did He need to rest? No. No. It wasn't because he needed to rest. He he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get worn out. And so he, it wasn't that he needed to rest, but he was setting an example for his creation. An example for us. And so I think it's wisdom for us to take heed of that example and really look at that. And, and I want to, and, and I'm going to speak this in contrast to the age that we live in. And it's not just something new to this age, but there's been ages that have come before us, and there's been times, and there's been seasons that have come before this time and this season where people really had no regard for any kind of a Sabbath. And we're kind of coming back and cycling back to that time again. Uh, those of you that have talked to me about this, when I was a kid, I grew up in the South, and they had what was called blue laws in the South. 
at the time. And what blue laws were was that on Sundays nothing was open. Like, you know, you could choose to 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 not celebrate the Sabbath, but you weren't going to buy anything at the Piggly Wiggly because it wasn't open. And and so uh, where I grew up, I mean, there, there was just nothing. If you needed gas, you got it on Saturday, the night before. And if you needed something, you went out and you got it. And that was all there was to it. And then slowly but surely, they started to kind of chip away at that. Drugstores could be open because people had emergencies and they needed to get their prescriptions. And then, you know, you started go, you know, everything just started chipping away at those ideas. And eventually, society just changed. And people said, we don't want to do that anymore. And so they didn't. And that was the end of that. But distinctly, I remember growing up in that. Distinctly, I remember that in a household where I grew up in a household where uh, my grandparents really took seriously the idea of Sunday being a day of rest. And my grandfather, I mean, he worked two jobs, sometimes three jobs. I mean, he was constantly moving. He was constantly doing stuff. He worked six days a week, but on the seventh day, he didn't. And that was something that all of us were, it was instilled in us as a value that this was God's day. And that was it. But that's not the society we live in anymore. That just means I'm old. Okay, because that's how I grew up. And it, and it points to a certain time and a certain place, a certain culture that's not there anymore. And so we're living in a time and a place where we, if you expect society to understand what I'm talking about tonight, you, you have some weird expectations because they don't and they won't. Now, unless there's some kind of major uh, revival, some kind of major uh, change in the way things are going, people aren't going to understand this and they don't understand it already. You think about all the things that get planned on Sundays now. You think about all the things that are planned even during church time when people traditionally would go to church. Well, we live in a society where more than half of our society now, in the latest census or latest polls that they're taking, for the first time, more than half of our society does not attend church. So they don't have any reason to honor that. They don't have any reason to uh, make an exception for that. And so they don't. You know, a few years ago, it became popular. People were talking about Sunday as a the new found day, where things could be planned and things could be done, and so that's why things were planned and things were done, and that's what's been going on ever since. So, one thing I don't want to do, and I don't want you to hear me talking about this in any legalistic fashion whatsoever. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm not looking at this as a legal obligation. I'm not looking at this as any kind of obligation on our part that we have to fulfill. That's not why. That's not why I'm talking about this tonight. But I am talking about a people that Isaiah was speaking to, that Isaiah was prophesying to, that they were facing something in their life where, where God was resetting them, and they were going to have to reset their lives after captivity. That they were going to come back after 70 years or however many years they were there, and they were going to have to reset their lives in such a way that was going to make sense to them. 
And Isaiah was prophesying to them, Isaiah was speaking to them about some things that would be important for them to consider when they were going to reset their lives. And I want to encourage some of you that, that as you came out of whatever you came out of and you came to know Jesus, there needs to be certain things in your life that had to be reset too. And when you came out of your captivity, whatever that was, I came out of my captivity and whatever that was, there were certain things I needed to reset in my life, certain things that I had to set in order in my life if I was going to continue in the new life that God had given me. And I knew that. I knew that certain things needed to change that were going on in my life that were taking place in the dorm that I lived in at the time or among the people that I was hanging out with or the places that I was going or the activities that I was engaging in. There were things that needed to change, things that needed to be reordered, things that needed to be looked at seriously. Well, how I was spending my time and how I was spending my effort and where those things were going. And, and I think all of us have some kind of a sense about that, at least I hope we do, that as things reset in our life and as we look at our lives, we say, okay, well, this is an opportunity. However that happens in your life and why ever that happens in your life. But you look at it and say, I've got an opportunity here to do something different. Well, then that means you're going to have to do something differently. Yeah. So in other words, if you don't want the same results, you follow what I'm saying here? You're living a life, God gives you a chance, this is a reset for you, all right? You get a reset. If you go back to doing things exactly like you were doing them before, guess what's going to happen? You end up in exactly the same place you were in before, and you're going to need another reset. And then so then you go back to it, you do them exactly like you were doing before, because that's what you're used to, that's what you're comfortable with, that's what you think, and, and whatever, you're going to end up right back where you started again, again, and again, and again, and again. Something has to change. That if you get an opportunity to reset, you get an opportunity to do something differently with your life, then you got to make some different decisions. you got to look at it and say, all right, well, what needs to change in my life so that I don't see the same result? Well, this whole nation was looking at that. They had gone down their path. They had done what they wanted to do. They would already done it. They lived out what they wanted to live out. And it ended up that they got overrun by this nation. They got taken into captivity. Their nation was divided up and destroyed. Their city was torn down and destroyed. Their temple was destroyed. The walls of their city were torn down. They had no identity as a people or as a nation anymore. That's what happened. And so we're going to go back to where we started. Get a, Okay, here's your reset. Go back to where you started. What are you going to do? Go back to the same things you were doing before you're going to end up in the same place you just came out of. You're going to end up in the same bondage. You're going to end up in the same destruction. You're going to end up in the same frustrating situations. You're going to end up in the same place. They knew, they knew they had to change. God was sending the prophet to them saying, you've got to change. You've got to look at this differently. And so one of the first things he said to them, he's like, here's one of the first things you need to do. And why would this be one of the first things? Because it's one of the first things that God gave us an example of. Right from the very beginning, in the days of creation, He gave us this example. you got to have a Sabbath. you got to have a Sabbath. It ain't because Aunt Millie told you to. It ain't because it's in your, it was in your Sunday school book when you were a kid. It ain't because it's in the law and the Bible or nothing. It's just because you need it. 
And then when we get the chance to reset something, we get the chance to do something differently, well, this is one of those things that God laid out through Isaiah saying, this is something that you need. You know, Jesus taught on the Sabbath. It was something that he spoke on. It was something that, that he had to say about it. Because he was all about giving people another chance. He was all about giving people that new opportunity. I mean, that whole idea about being born again, that is the ultimate reset for our lives. Like, well, you know, and Nicodemus all confused about it. He's like, well, are we going to crawl into our mother's womb again? Not at your size, Nicodemus. No. You know, no. But what Jesus was saying is we're going to give you a new start just like it would be like if you got born. A second time. So here's your start. Here's your opportunity. So we get this start, and it's like, well, so what are some of the things we need to lay down? Well, this is one of them. And again, not legalistically, it's just one of them. I mean, God calls that seventh day, that's His day. And he calls it His own. He goes about it calling it His own. And, and He makes it clear that that's His day, and it's to be, be uh, observed in reference to God. And I wanted to make that clear because some people look at the Sabbath and they say, oh, well, I'll just do what I want. No, that's not what it is. It's God's day. And it's meant to be observed in reference to Him. It belongs to Him. And it's a day of sweet rest. It's a day of prayer. It's a day of praise. It's a day also of fellowship, of being together. That's why the Bible says that forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Because the, the assembling of ourselves together in prayer and in worship and in fellowship are all part of God's purposes and God's plan for us on that day. And, and they'll say, well, you know, Andy, you know, the original Sabbath was on a Saturday. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Okay. Keep talking. Keep talking. And and I and I again I, I don't care. All right, because because that's not what's important to me. What's important to me is that there's a day that we set aside that we are together. There's a day we set aside for prayer and praise. There's a day that we set aside for rest. There's a day that we set aside that is lived and observed in reference to God in our lives. That's what's important. You know, it's good to draw near to God. It's a good thing. And it's a good thing to set aside time and opportunity to do that. Because, I mean, as much as we talk about it, as much as Christians want to talk about drawing near to God, as much as Christians want to talk about, you know, being close to God, how much time and effort do we actually invest into it? Talk, talk, talk. Talk is cheap. But actually drawing near to God and actually investing into that is hard. Because there's always something more pressing. There's always something that's out there that's more important, seemingly, in the moment drawing our attention and dividing our attention and distracting us. That's the reality of it, and all of us know that. Again, no judgment on that. That's just the way it is. I was very, very concerned this morning about digging out a root that was in my yard. Very concerned. Very concerned with an axe and a shovel. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was very distracting. Mm -hmm. Now, the consequences of that route in eternity, I'm not sure, you know, if that's really that big a deal. But, but as far as I was concerned on Monday morning, I had my attention this morning. And I was going to chop that root out at least as much as I could in the time I had. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me about any of this other stuff. I had to get to that root. And then the rest of the day, I was overly concerned about receiving weather alerts. <laughs> but I only received nine today. I thought it was eight. All right, but then as I was walking in here, I got another weather alert coming in. Oh, Lori, I, ha I got 27 weather alerts last Monday. This is how crazy things are. That's how crazy. I, well, I can turn it off. I'm just saying that's how crazy it is. That's how much fear they want to put on you. I got nine today. Anybody see anything happen today that required nine weather alerts? Hmm. Me either. Yeah, it's hot. I got it was hot like four times. It's hot. We're advising you it's hot. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, they also tell you, too, like last week, of the 27, one of those said and was very clear, if you go outside, you will be injured. It did tell you that. Yeah. Thank you. So, so I was concerned about that. Not really. I mean, but, you know, but other things came up during the day once I got past digging up the root. Uh, more things came up during the day, and I know you know, you know, it happens. And so... God, in His wisdom, gave us an example. His example of setting aside a day every week. Just setting it aside. And it's during that time, and I'm not saying it's only during this time, but it gives us an opportunity to draw near to Him. Because there's a, there's a restoration that Isaiah is prophesying toward I mean he's prophesying to people that are in slavery that are being brought into freedom and being restored to their home but he's also prophesying to a people that have been in slavery that are being born again and coming into a freedom and a home that they'd never known he's, he's prophesying to to pagans and he's prophesying to the Jewish people and he's prophesying to the people that are going to come and, and know what it is to know God through Jesus too and so he's speaking to a, a restoration. He's speaking to a resumption. And so as Isaiah prophesied to these, these captives that were coming back, he's speaking to a resumption and a restoration of celebration. And part of that resumption and part of that, that celebration and part of what he's speaking to is drawing a distinction between one day of the week and all the other days, that it would be a day to be honored. And he starts there, interestingly enough. And so as he prophesies, and as we've looked at the last few weeks, do you think about things that we've looked at as Isaiah was prophesying into the gospel? I want you to think about this for a second. 
as he was prophesying into the gospel, he was prophesying some order. He was prophesying some extension and understanding of all that Jesus was teaching and preaching. Well, I think he's doing the same here. He's, he's drawing a, a way for us to enter into how Jesus makes all things new. He's giving us an opportunity not to repeat the same mistakes again. He's given us the opportunity to do things differently this time so we don't end up in the same spot that we started in again. And, and you know we do. And, and these are cycles and these are patterns in people's lives that it is, is, is my privilege and sorry state to have to witness over and over again. And, and, I, and I, can, I can guarantee you I don't judge it either. Because I have those patterns in my life and I do those things in my life. But watching somebody come out of destruction and come into a place where they're being restored, they're being healed, and, they're, and all these great things are happening in their life, but then watching them fall back into destruction again. That isn't something to judge. That breaks your heart. And so there's ways, I believe, that God brings us into a new place where we don't have to repeat that same pattern over and over again. We don't have to do the same things over and over and over again. And when Jesus, and we get this, this idea, it's like, oh, I'm going to pray this prayer and magically everything's going to be different from now on. It's not magic. There's something that does happen where we, we're forgiven. There's something that does happen where we're cleansed. There's something that does happen where we're empowered. There's something that does change in our lives and there's new opportunity and there's new vision and there's new future and there's a new purpose and all those things are true. But there's certain things, certain orderly things that need to change in our life if we're not just going to go back and repeat the same stuff over and over again. It just has to. And one of those things, I believe, is this. Now, none of you, those of you who have been around for a long time, you've never heard me teach on this this strongly. Because it's always my fear that if I teach on this, somebody's going to take hold of this and say, Andy said, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. Andy said, you know, we've got to follow the law. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> no. What I am saying, though, is that there's a certain amount of wisdom that we can look all the way back to the very beginning and we see God doing this? Think about that for a second. God's doing it, right? He's giving us an example. He's not shoving it down our throats. He's not yelling at us about it. He's not pointing a finger. He's just, he's just doing it. He's resting. He's just doing it. He's setting aside that day. And he's given us an example of that. He's given us an opportunity to order our lives in his order. And we know it's his order because that's the way we watched him live. We saw it. It's recorded. Seventh day, he rested. You see, Israel was about to find out what it was for all things to be made new. And when things are made new, I think it's important to begin to look at original intent and purpose. 
Like, what is God's original intent? You know, we I've taught on this a lot of times about, go back to the beginning. How did God create things? Well, that's important. Why is that important? That's important because that's how He wants them. He didn't create things just to mess them up. He created things a certain way because that's how He wants it. That's the ideal. That's the way He made it. That's the way He set it in motion. And so as He created things at the very beginning, and He set them in motion at the very beginning, that's His will. That's His purpose. That was His plan. That's His life that He has for us. And you look at all the things that took place in between that and to where we are now. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. God's purpose, God's plan, God's intent. He's giving us the opportunity to find it again and to live it. That's why I'm fixated on the primitive worship. That's why I'm fixated on the way God made things. That's why I'm fixated on looking at how how God brought things into being. His relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. How He walked with them in the cool of the day. How He spoke to them. How they spoke to Him. The relationship that they had. I want that. I want to live in that. I want to experience that every day. Well, if I'm going to do that, then I'm given this opportunity as He makes all things new. I get the opportunity to look at things through a fresh lens and see the original intent, that original purpose. That original life between God and us. Because really, the whole idea of the Sabbath, that's between God and me. Between God and you. It's a, it's a symbol in a sense of that relationship of rest and peace and grace. His special place in our life. Viewing that day through the lens of who He is in, in, in reference to Him and learning how to live in reference to God and not us. It's one out of seven where He calls us to set it aside and let's look at Him. So when you look at Revelation 1.10. The Sabbath is the Lord's day. So, in the Old Testament sense, you got Saturday is the Lord's day. Let's look at uh, Revelation 1.10. Thanks. Yeah. In the New Testament sense, you heard you hear referenced as the Lord's Day Sundays. You just do. And and that's why I don't really have any argument about this. It's his day. And if you look at it, every day is his day. What we're looking at is that day that we set aside as his day. And so the New Testament church set aside the first day of the week, Sunday, as his day. 
And so that's our example in that sense. The way that they conducted themselves in the way that they saw that. They were honoring the resurrection. They were honoring Jesus. They were honoring the work that he did, the life that he lived, the life that he was living now. And so they set aside the first day of the week as the Lord's Day. That's what they did. And so what's expected of us? Well, I'm going to just say it this way. And again, someone's going to get upset. What's expected? Not work. What does that mean? I don't know. Make it up. I don't care. Not work. Okay? And and there's some people that work on Sundays because they have to. Like, uh, you know, if I decided to go into a career in emergency services, there's some Sundays I'd have to work. Uh, there was a guy in church on Sunday that I knew from when I worked. He's a paramedic. And I knew him from when I worked at NAVAC. used to ride with him on overnights. Did for years. And he just showed up. He didn't know I was here. And I didn't recognize him with a mask on, but he works every other Sunday. This is part of his schedule. And everybody does. It does that. And so, you know, that, that's just what happens sometimes. And so, I don't want you to hear me like, oh, he's laying down the law now. No. Nope. But what's expected is not work. That's what's expected. Somebody look at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Luke 6, 1 and 2. Yeah. Now, I am not, in case you're confused, a Pharisee. <laughs> Just not. I'm not even a Sadducee. I, I'm not. I'm not any of those things. And as far as I'm concerned, I am also not an apologist for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as some Christians are. Some Christians insist. I'm making excuses for the Pharisees and the Sadducees to tell me they really weren't that bad. I believe, just for the record, in case anybody ever asks what I think, I think they're losers. (laughs) And they're big jerks. Okay? That's what I believe. And I don't think Jesus had very many kind words for them. I just don't. And and I don't see that. I don't. You know. In fact, he called them children of the devil. So, um, if you're an apologist for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I'm sorry, the devil isn't going to be saved either. Nope. He's not going to get saved. So, um, and if you don't understand what I just said, good. Don't even think about it. But what I'm trying to get at here is that they they were looking at stuff like that, and they were saying, oh, you know, they're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus didn't have anything good to say about that, man. That's not what I'm talking about. All right? That's what the Pharisees are talking about. That's what the Sadducees are talking about. I'm neither of them. I'm not talking about that. I'm just not. And and so I want you to think of it more like uh, that we need to take the time and, and think of it more of a, as a disengaging. 
that we take the time on our Sabbath to disengage our minds, our affections from the cares and concerns that we're caring and concerned about all through the week. And to actively disengage from that for a day. Just be willing to do that. It needs to be something, the day needs to be something out of the ordinary. And that's really what I believe God, He, he, he showed us. Because the, the only example we have, if you look at God, the first six days, what was He doing? What was He doing? Creating stuff, right? Speaking this, speaking that. Creating stuff, setting things in order, getting things ready. And then on the seventh day, it says He rested. You see, the only behavior we see of Him those first six days are creating stuff and speaking stuff. The seventh day was out of the ordinary. He stopped doing that. And He rested. So it should be out of the ordinary. It should be out of the ordinary. Somebody look at Matthew 5.17. Matthew 5.17. Alright, so so Jesus came to fulfill all that. The law and the prophets, that's describing the Old Testament. That's describing their former way. That's describing where they came from. He's like, I've come to fulfill all that. And, and so by saying that, he's saying that he's going to show you what it really means. He's going to show you how to really live. He's going to show you what it's supposed to look like. He's going to show you an original intent to what it is God made it to be. And so that's super important for us because we look at Jesus, okay, well, well, how did He go about doing things? Well, He had a certain way about it. He had a certain way about how He went about the life that He lived. He had a certain way about how He and His disciples traveled and how they shared life together. He had a certain way about the teachings that he brought forth, he had a certain way about the healings and the deliverance and all the stuff that he did, all the miracles and the power that he displayed. He had a certain way about that. He had a certain way of presenting an understanding of what was important and what was not important. It's interesting that as you look at the development of the church over the centuries, the millennia, you see a, a shift from what was important to stuff that doesn't matter at all. And it must be just the human way. But I really believe God is calling us and is, continues to call us to what really matters. I believe God is continually calling us to what is eternal, what, God is, what, what He intends for us. Jesus is such a great example of that. No fluff, just the facts, just going about his business. You know, it's like, oh, I want to argue about paying taxes. What's to argue about? There's nothing to argue about paying taxes. Whose inscription's on the coin? 
Whose likeness? Caesar's. Well, render unto Caesar what Caesar's? Render unto God what's God's. End of story. Boom. Simple, right? Yeah. How come nobody else thought of that? How come everybody else was just arguing about it, making religious points about it, and how it was sin to pay taxes? I mean, why? Why is that the discussion? Why was it the discussion, well, whose likeness? Well, give it to him back. Who cares? Oh, we need to pay taxes? Oh, there's a temple tax. Oh, the temple got in on the tax. All right, go catch a fish, get the money out, pay both our taxes, boom, we're done. What's the big deal? That's not the big deal. That's just the big deal to us or to them or whoever it was. Well, who's going to sit on your right hand and on your left hand? Who cares? Which one of us is the greatest? Who cares? And you see that discussion through the lives. And it's really the disciples are awesome because they, they reflect us, right? They reflect us being confused. They reflect us worrying about the wrong things. They reflect us thinking about the wrong things. They reflect us asking the wrong questions. They reflect us you know, looking all stupid and Jesus looking at us saying, are you so dull? And the answer is yes, that's us. They're perfect for that. They're like the perfect dupes for, for us to understand who we are. And Jesus to bring a simplicity to a situation and to bring things down and boil things down to what really matters and what doesn't. We're looking yesterday and it's like, uh, Master, what are the the greatest commandments? Trying to trap Him. Trying to make Him look bad. He's like, love God, love each other. What's wrong with you? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's hard. You know it's harder to love God and love each other than it is to argue about it? Yeah, it is. It's harder to love God and love each other than argue about it. I mean, it's easier to argue about who your neighbor is than it is to actually love them. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to argue about everything. It's a lot easier to argue about the Sabbath than to actually keep it. It is. It's a lot easier to argue points about it. It's a lot, you know... And you can name anything in the Bible about that. You know, and in, in the New Testament, it kind of boils it down. It's like, you say you love God, but you hate your brother. You're a liar. Yeah, oh, all right. Because it's easy to talk about loving God, but it's hard to love your brother. Right. So hate your brother, just talk about loving God. You're a liar. Okay, let's boil it down. So there's all these things in the New Testament, all these things that that Jesus was in the business of breaking down to their simplistic form. And it comes right down to it, we're called to really love Him. We're called to really love each other. We're called to set aside and to view things through a lens that He fills. That's hard. It's easier just to argue about stuff. But arguing about stuff ain't going to get it done. And so we have to move out of the ordinary, which is to argue about stuff, and to major on the wrong stuff, and to draw attention from the areas that we don't want attention being drawn to, and actually live the life that God's called us to live. So it can't be ordinary. It can't be ordinary. 
and if you're trying to make it ordinary, it's not going to work. Well, I'm going to keep it, you know, kind of an ordinary day, but I'll, uh, you know, do this and that. I'll go to church and I'll spend an extra half hour during the sermon reading the Bible. Thank you. Um, but, but that's kind, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Because the other thing that it says in this verse in Isaiah 58:13, it says that you don't do just anything you want to do on the Sabbath. So part of that reset that he was bringing and part of the new start he was bringing, he was saying, okay, this is what the Sabbath is. All right? And part of the Sabbath is just you don't do anything you want to do. And so, in other words, it's a willing restraint of liberty on our part. Because the Sabbath was made for who? Man. And that was the twist that Jesus brought to it. It's the Lord's day. Okay? It's His day. But He made it for us. Because what did I say from the beginning? Did He need to rest? No. He doesn't get tired. He rested as an example for us. He made the Sabbath for us. How do I know that? So I look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Verses 24 through So, in that verse, and in those verses, Jesus establishes something really clearly. He says that, you know, the Sabbath was made for us. And He's Lord of the Sabbath. And the only thing I really want you to get out of that is that He considered it important enough to teach on it. Do you hear Him? I mean, He had the Sadducees, He had the Pharisees accusing Him, but they had it backwards, Right? The way they were looking at the Sabbath, it was like some requirement like, oh, i got to do A, B, and C on the Sabbath or you know, I'm not keeping the Sabbath. He's like, that's not what it's about. The Sabbath's for you. He, he gave us this pause in our week, every week. And he, he gave it to us as a gift. And so he gives us the opportunity to, to go about and do something out of the ordinary one day a week. Now, does that mean if we have a need, we can't meet it? No, it doesn't. Obviously, he's eating. And he gives the example of David. When they were hungry, they went into the temple and they ate the showbread. Yeah. They needed it. And so they ate it. And what Jesus is saying, he's like, he's like nobody's going to tell you really what to do and what not to do. And I hope you're kind of hearing me tonight. That's not my purpose here. 
I don't want to tell you what to do and what not to do because that's not what it's about. But what it's about is it's about God. It's not necessarily about what you want. There's plenty of stuff, things I do on Sundays I don't want to do. I guarantee you. And over the years, I've been able to reduce the number of things that I don't like doing on Sundays by giving them to other people to do so that they can not like doing them on Sunday. <laughs> but I've, there's been plenty of Sundays where I did those things. And and some that I still do. But that that's not really an issue either. It's something that's out of the ordinary. It's something that is not the normal part of my week. It's something that has nothing to do with my job out there or anything else that I'm doing, but it's something that I'm willing to do looking at with an eye on through the lens of Christ. The last thing I want to talk about is that it's not just talk. It's not just talk. And and that's true for about everything in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Yeah, Paul said that to the Corinthian church because he was uh, upset with some people that had come into the church and they were teachers and prophets and false apostles and they were leading people astray. And he, and he was just like, he's talking to the church. He's like, I can't believe you're just listening to these guys. They're just letting them talk, 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 and they got you fooled so much. Well, the kingdom of God isn't about talk. It's about power. It's about a demonstration, understanding, and a reality of God in our lives. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And so we look at something like the Sabbath, and the Sabbath's not just talk. It ain't just saying the right things, or it's not just just uh, repeating the same things or the right things or anything else. It's not saying, oh, the Sabbath is such a delight. But we can't feel that or we can't know that in our spirit. It's not a matter of talk. But it needs to be a matter of celebration. Even in the midst of our duties, even in the midst of the stuff that we need to do, even in the midst of our ministry, even in the midst of the stuff that annoys us sometimes, even in the midst of people that annoy us, even in the midst of all the situations that could possibly come up, it needs to be a time of celebration in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit. Because that's God's intent. So we can rest, we can celebrate, we can do something that's out of the ordinary. We can follow His example and we can experience Him. So I want to encourage you toward this. That's all. Uh, Israel knew something new about to happen. Getting a fresh start. Getting in there. Isaiah considered this important enough. God considered this important enough to, that Isaiah the prophet would speak this over them. You need to establish this time. You need to have this established in your heart, in your mind, and in your spirit. Jesus considered it important enough in the gospel, in that which he was teaching, saying, you need to get this right. You need to get it right. And not because anybody's going to come get you, not because anybody's mad at you, not because you either do it or, or, or else. It's not, that's not it at all. It's because it was made for you. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. 
And I guess what I'm trying to encourage you toward is making the most of it, of this day that was made for you, making the most of it in, in light of God's intent, God's purpose, and God's plan for us. And set some things in order. Because I think as we set things in order, like this, we see other things beginning to fall in order in our lives too. But when things like this are in disorder, things that are taught on, things that are given as example, things that are a part of what God has said, and, and we look at it and it's not in order in our own lives, like something as simple as that or as plain as that, then I think you're going to find a lot of other things out of order too. And we're going to find ourselves falling back out of order in other areas of our lives also. So I just want to encourage you toward this best I can. Best I can. Let's take a few moments and I want to encourage you to respond. Uh, God wants to be close. He wants you close to Him. He wants you in fellowship with Him. And so He gives you this opportunity to do that. But you got to make some decisions about it. And you can listen to the wisdom of the world if you want. But I'm going to give you a little hint about the world. They're wrong a lot. And there are a lot of unhappy people out there. Or you can just listen to the wisdom of God. And look at how He established things. Look at His intent. Look at what He's given us for our own good. And have enough sense to take Him up on it. And set some order and set some priority in your life where you can. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, we would lay aside the wisdom of this world. And I pray, God, we would take on the wisdom that only you bring. God, I pray that we'd be a people seeking your order in our lives. Not an order that we somehow figure out and impose on ourselves, but an order that you bring, a wisdom that you bring, a way that you have modeled and that you have prophesied, taught, and displayed for us to understand. A wisdom that Jesus lived, a wisdom that Jesus taught. I pray, Father, that we would be able to find that place, that place of celebration in our lives. So God, we thank you for making the Sabbath for us. We thank you, Jesus, for being Lord of the Sabbath. I pray, God, that we would turn our hearts we turn our minds toward you. I pray for decisions to be made, commitments to be made. I pray, God, you'd help us to establish order over our time, order over our lives, our decisions. And I pray, Father, we could find that rest, that peace, that joy, that celebration that you've made provision for us to live in. So I pray in our lives that it would be this place and, and this 
time of order in our week that would be established in Jesus' name. Yeah. So God, we just give you thanks for your love. We give you thanks for your provision. We give you thanks for your care over us. And I pray, Father, that we would find a place of peace and rest in you and in all that you provided. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.